baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. This year's midterm elections have been dogged by allegations of voting irregularities around the country, with major controversies popping up in Florida, Arizona, Georgia, and more recently, North Carolina's 9th Congressional District. Well, California's election hasn't escaped controversy either, but when House Speaker Paul Ryan spoke out against it about a week ago, irregular is not the term he chose to use. Instead, he says he finds the system here bizarre. I still don't frankly understand it. Bizarre is the word he used there, in case you missed it. Speaking there with Washington Post reporter Paul Kane, and in that conversation, Paul Ryan said he's just plain confused as to why the vote count here in California took so, so long to wrap up. In California, it just defies logic to me. We, we, we had a lot of wins that night. We were only down 26 seats the night of the election. And three weeks later, we lost basically every contested California race. So what's so bizarre about California's election system? Well, there has indeed been a number of changes made to that system in recent years all of them aimed at making voting easier and more accessible. But those changes have come with the side effect of making election counts also take much longer. And here's the thing, those late-breaking results, well, they skewed pretty heavily Democrat, meaning that this time around, a number of House races that looked like they were firmly in Republican hands on election night gradually swayed toward the Democratic candidate, leading to what eventually did become that blue wave we've heard so much about. I'm Keith Menconi, and today on In-Depth, we are going to take a closer look at those changes to California's vote system, why they were put in place, how they impacted the 2018 midterms, and how California Republicans are responding. To help me out with all that, we have on the show today two excellent guests. First up, we're going to welcome in David McEwen. He is a professor of American politics at Sonoma State University. David, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Also on the program today, we have Mike Madrid. He is a Republican political consultant and partner at Grassroots Lab. Mike Madrid, glad to have you as well. Great to be with you. So to start things off, let us uh, first go back to that Paul Ryan interview, again, with the Washington Post. Now, when he was pressed whether or not he thought that the results were flawed... He had this to say. No, I just think it's weird. I mean, okay. in Wisconsin, you know, we knew like the next day, you know, Scott Walker, my friend, I, you know, was sad to see him lose. But but he we accepted the results on Wednesday. So to be clear, he is not saying that he disputes the results. But as you heard there, he thinks that they're kind of weird. Meanwhile, California Secretary of State Alex Padilla, who is California's top election official, he has been giving a strong rebuke to Ryan's statements over the past week. Quoted in the Mercury News, he said, quote, It should not defy logic that elections officials are meticulous in counting every eligible ballot. California works to ensure every ballot is counted properly and every ballot is accounted for. In the most populous state in the nation, this takes time. 
So uh, to start off with, let's take a look at that question. Why did it take so much time, David McEwen? All right. So if you if you think about this kind of more broadly, historically, midterm elections have offered uh, a chance for voters to change course. They often serve as a referendum on the party in power. And, and certainly events over the last two years or so uh, with the Trump administration and with every California politician trying to run kind of counter or against Trump, that in a particularly blue state, a deeply blue state, generated a lot of interest. You also have uh, county registrars or the conduct of elections uh, in California, like so many states across the country, that are conducted at the county level. And so many, many registrars go slowly with a high interest election, midterm election, kind of uh, a referendum on the in party. This also led to a high number of provisional ballots or ballots uh, that were cast at the last minute or by voters who uh, lost their uh, vote by mail ballot. You also have a number of voters in California who have moved to kind of a third party, and that third party is the no party preference, uh, th those voters who are not in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. You have many first-time voters. California is also one of five states that uh, really changed its voting process in this particular election and had this thing called AVR or automatic voter registration. All of this creating, if you will, some momentum to vote, but also uh, making it a challenge for those that count the votes, as Alex Padilla mentioned. All right. And just to make this all a little bit less abstract, uh, briefly, those election reforms that we're talking about are measures like, for example, uh, allowing mail-in ballots to be sent in just a little bit later. So now the way that it works is as long as they are postmarked on Election Day and received by the Friday after the election you're good to go. A little bit more convenient there. Uh, then there's another measure that allows for what is pretty close to same-day registration. Uh, and then yet another uh, measure uh, raises the issue of so-called ballot harvesting. We heard that term from Paul Ryan. We'll dig more into that later in the program. Uh, all of this, again, meaning that there are just an awful lot of votes, millions of votes, in fact, that just can't be counted on Election Day. So turning back uh, to David McEwen, that's a little bit why the election took longer. Why is it, though, that those late-breaking votes broke so heavily Democratic? Well, obviously, with California being so central to what is happening nationally in our politics, Democrats and Democratic interest groups spent a lot of money targeting specific Republican congressional districts, uh, particularly uh, seven to ten different congressional districts, and trying to move the needle. And so that means that Democrats spent a lot of late registration and late GOTV or get out the vote efforts the last weekend of the election to turn out voters in key districts. Most of these districts are in Southern California. Mike's familiar with that campaign. But I think you also have to think about and your listeners have to think about the effects are not just, say, at the congressional level or, or a gubernatorial level or even in ballot measures. The effects of, of this slow count and this high interest election with new voters is really down ballot. So what you see in local races, what happens in school boards or for city councils or for county supervisorial districts, that becomes absolutely critical. And that slow plotting count that goes on with different types of districts becomes an important element here that also prolongs the the uh, the counting and obviously leads to this, you know, kind of maximum 30 day certification of the final results. All right. So let's bring Mike Madrid into the conversation. Let's uh, zero in on some of the issues that uh, David is raising the, there. Uh, 
What is, what is your perspective on why it was that we saw so many late-breaking votes break in the direction of Democrats? Well, most of it is procedural, as, as the professor just pointed out. I think he's exactly right. Um, it is an interesting you know, data point to understand that more votes are counted um, after the election day. In other words, they're, they're about a, a little less than 50 percent of the votes that are actually make up the final votes tally are those votes that are counted on election day. Over half are counted afterwards. And this is a process that has been growing in California for the better part of about 10 years now. The biggest bulk of those are those provisional ballots that were being talked about. But as we get closer and closer to same day registration, automatic voter registration, ballot harvesting concepts, more and more ballots are coming in in different ways for the county registrars to actually have to count. And it's also having kind of the unintended consequence of making old traditional things like uh, election night parties basically irrelevant (laughs) because you don't have enough data to even know, know what half of the voters were thinking that night. And, and election systems probably, as a communications point, do need to do a better job of, of letting people know that. Um, we still, as voters, believe that we'll, we'll wake up you know, early in the morning and know who won races. That's impossible, and it's going to go, become increasingly more impossible. Um, but, but I think Secretary Padilla is right. What we have made is the conscious decision in California to incorporate as many possible ways of voting um, as we can think of and those different processes, especially those that occur late, um, require time. They require time to process. They require the, the, the man hours and resources to actually um, make sure that we're getting every vote counted. And it takes, it takes a number of weeks. A lot of this did have to do with some of the spend in the targeted races, but a lot of it is just simply a function of, of these new processes. I'll give you a perfect example. Los Angeles County, by far the largest county, really is where the bulk of the late votes and late voters came in. There was only one contested seat, one contested congressional race uh, in L.A. County that, that you know, has about 30 members of Congress. So while there is has been a lot of attention focused on 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 the money being spent and the tactics of certain campaigns, we are simply changing our voting behaviors in the way that we vote as Californians. The processes are accommodating that. And we are now going to have basically election months where we are processing <laughs> and counting votes as opposed to election days. And since California has so many, you know, constant special elections, it's just going to be chronic electioneering, which is exactly what Mike's talking about. Oh, well, it'll just be constant. (laughs) Good for business for both of you, I imagine. (laughs) So let's uh, drill down again on one of the more controversial aspects of uh, this election. So this year was the first time around where you could have somebody else cast your ballot on your behalf. Well, not the first time that you could have somebody cast your ballot on your behalf, but the first time where the the type of person who could do that for you uh, was significantly expanded. So I think before it had to be somebody that was uh, a family member and in your household. Now it's, uh, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's anybody, including a, a paid election campaigner. So this has raised the specter that, you know, there are get out the vote workers that are going to people's houses looking for friendly voters, getting their ballot and making sure that that ballot was cast. And some folks are saying that that had a very significant uh, impact on some, at least some district races. Uh, Mike, I'm curious for your perspective on that. Uh, How big of an impact do you think it made? I don't think it really had much of an impact at all. I think actually it's quite overblown for a few reasons. 
the, the first is, again, most of this ballot harvesting uh, is very, very new. And having worked on, on a, you know, numerous campaigns and worked on get out the vote efforts, to be able to exercise this kind of an activity on the scale that would actually move the needle would be quite extraordinary. Now, I'm not saying this tactic wasn't used and employed effectively. I think in some areas it probably was, but it certainly was not the margin of uh, victory in any of these contested races um, for, for the main reason that it, it hasn't been executed before. Um, I, I happen to be one of those Republicans that does not think that this is problematic. There are a lot of people who, who do. Yeah, well, uh, David, make make the case for to me for ballot harvesting because I I really only became aware of this as soon as I heard about uh, the criticism of it. So, what is the case for, you know, if, if we want our elections to be more inclusive, why would ballot harvesting be something that we want on the table as a way to get out the vote? Right. So, if you look at kind of the the broader scheme of what's been happening in elections across the country, th- there have been a number of efforts in terms of voter fraud, voter suppression, or I shouldn't say efforts, attention to these types of issues. Those tend to be battleground states. They tend to be, these tend to be Republican-led initiatives. But in California, being such a blue state, Democrats have uh, been able to or have pushed for expanding the electorate. You also have an electorate that's habitual. Uh, The habitual electorate are folks that vote in every election. They tend to be older, whiter, retired, uh, more affluent. They tend to skew Republican. But again, it's a blue state. And then you have this kind of a changing kind of uh, narrative and a changing demographics. You have voters that are younger, more urban. Uh, tend to be more ethnic uh, and, and are a bit conflicted. That They're registering in the middle. They're no party preference voters. They're not going one way or another. And so they generally require more contact or more touch. Traditional GOTV, traditional get out the vote efforts haven't worked as well. And so we are entering a new phase where we're trying to expand the franchise and expand access to what's going on. But voters are searching for cues. New voters need some help. So the idea of harvesting is to provide more contact for that while we're expanding the franchise. That presents a whole host of issues or a whole host of concerns. And and we might see these. We've seen these concerns uh, represented in the past uh, when we look at things like signing ballot measure petitions on your phone or you know getting involved electronically. There's a lot of electoral security concerns that are raised by not just the out party, by Republicans, but by academics and researchers that pay close attention to this. And California is going to face these issues as we begin to expand the electorate and expand how we vote, similar to issues that have been faced in states like Oregon or Minnesota. All right. If you're just joining us, you are listening to In-Depth on KCBS. Today, we're looking at why it took so long for California's millions of votes to be counted. Our guests are David McEwen, professor of American politics at Sonoma State University, and Mike Madrid. He is a Republican political consultant and a partner at Grassroots Lab. Picking up on some of those issues just raised by David McEwen. So when we're talking about ballot harvesting, one concern that occurs to me is it seems like if this really is influencing the outcome of the election, then the group that is going to win is just the group that's more organized, has the stronger ground game, not necessarily the group that is connecting most with voters. Uh, Mike Madrid, uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's clearly one of the problems with it. And again, I, I, I don't look, I think it's a net positive. I don't I don't want to just assume or think that this is just, you know, any reform we're throwing at expanding the franchise is a good thing. I don't believe that. And I also believe 
that we are spending too much time in California on these processes and these tactical ways of increasing the vote um, as, a, as a way of solving what our civic engagement problems have led us to. And, and by that, I mean, let, 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 me, let me put it this way. Um, over the past 20 or 30 years, California has led the country in instituting different processes to expand the franchise, as the professor just said. At the same time, we have also witnessed the largest decline in voter participation. And so there's an argument, and it's a very, very good one, that, it, uh, that as we continually make it easier to vote, we are actually whittling down and diluting the civic engagement, civic responsibility processes of our citizens to actually take the vote seriously and engage in it. Now, I happen to believe that there are bigger factors and bigger reasons, a lot of them not related to the political process where people are not voting. But I think that there is very little evidence to suggest that the main problem affecting voter participation are the ease of the vote or the process of the vote. In fact, I don't think that has much to do with it at all. While I support all of these reforms, I think they should be instituted and we should always seek to try to get 100 percent participation. It's also pretty clear that except for a few anomalous elections, this last one being one of them, they are not actually materializing an increased voter participation. We're actually seeing it go in the other direction. So we got to be very careful with what kind of, quote unquote, quote, reforms we're trying to accomplish and asking the question, what does civic engagement truly mean? How do we increase voter participation in a way that is meaningful? And are these systems like harvesting uh, actually accomplishing the goal of doing that? I'm not I'm not sure that we know that one way or the other, whether that's the case. All right. That's uh, that's all really interesting. And uh, I want to pick perhaps pick up on that uh, before we end out the show, maybe what what would drive more voter participation. But let's stick with the the specific reforms that folks are talking about for this particular election, just for one more moment. And I, I kind of want to split this up into two separate questions. So it seems to me that there's a little bit of a range of the criticism that we're seeing from the GOP right now. Uh, on the one hand, we have Paul Ryan, who is saying, well, it's just bizarre. I think that that was it's a weird election, but I'm not saying that there was necessarily any fraud. I'm not contesting the results. You know, the implication seems to be that it in some way has uh, put Republican candidates at a disadvantage. So that's one end of the criticism. The other end of the criticism is uh, other Republicans that are alleging that there was some form of outright fraud. There are fraudulent ballots in the mix. And they haven't provided any evidence for that claim, but the claim is out there. And and so not looking at the specifics of those allegations, but just generally, let's take that end of the criticism first. With the with all these different get out the vote methods and, and new experimentations, is there any evidence that this has increased the possibility for some kind of fraudulent activity in the election? Mike, curious for your thoughts. No, there, there's not. And, and um, that's one of, I think, the problems that the Republican Party faces is really what they're dealing with. Is, look, the Republican Party has far, far bigger issues than worrying about election fraud uh, at, at the polling place. And again, as somebody who has been intimately involved with the electoral process, including the counting and overseeing ballots in close elections for, for candidates and for, for causes, I can tell you that I have never, ever in 25 years seen an example of voter fraud. Now, is it happening? Sure. I, I, you know, with, with millions of ballots, there, there's got to be one or two out there that may be cast in, you know, fraudulently. But to, 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 to presume or to state that it is a widespread, ingrained, systemic problem 
is just factually incorrect. That is not what is going on. Um, now, having said that, it, it is weird. The system that we have created in California is a little bit weird. It's certainly new and it's novel. And a lot of us in California are trying to figure out. So, so people outside of California are going, wait a second. How is it not possible that when everybody else has counted all of their ballots by noon the next day on Wednesday, the day after the election, you guys still haven't even you know, gotten to 50 percent or half, half of them? Um, it, it's a fair question to ask. But to presume that there is something fundamentally wrong with the system is not. And I think it's just become a convenient way for Republicans who are dealing with far weightier issues to not address what those issues are and simply say it's a problem with the process or, or something you know, stinks here or isn't right. And there is no factual basis for those claims or insinuations. Right, David, I want to toss the other end of that question to you then. Do you think that, I mean, we? I, I think it's probably well understood that, uh, as, as we've kind of uh, alluded to earlier in this conversation, that generally efforts that help make it easier to vote are, are getting to voters that lean more heavily Democratic. So with these more, you know, get out the vote sorts of policies, are they, is it skewing the playing field in, in favor of uh, Democratic politicians? Well, well, certainly in, in California, that there is, as you expand voter outreach and voter contact and, and the ability of voters to cast the ballot in California, that helps the dominant party, which is the Democratic Party. You also have to deal with this increasing issue of no party preference voters or voters that have expanded past the Republican Party into this no party preference or kind of middle area. If you look at attempts to automatically register voters, you don't just blue states. You do see that in a few red states. West Virginia would be a notable uh, example of this. But also the battle over getting people access to the ballot masks the broader issues for example, how the Republican Party is relevant in California or how the Democratic Party deals with its identity crisis, which it hasn't resolved since 2016, of which way it's going. Is it going to go left? Is it going to go moderate? What does that look like nationally? And if California politicians are focusing on the mechanics of registration and the mechanics of casting a ballot, then you are masking over those two issues of what happens for each party while the California voter is twisting in the wind. And, and that is one issue that we see. If you're raising voter fraud from the East Coast or if you're raising voter fraud outside of California as a specter, we, we see no research that demonstrates that it's mattered in a race or that it occurs on a large scale. And it is a bit of a, a fake or faux argument, as, as Mike mentioned. We just don't see it. Has it happened? Sure. Has it made a difference or is it substantial or large? There's no evidence to indicate this at all. All right. Closing thoughts I want to get from both of you. It sounds, I'm just, you know, picking up on some of the stuff that you guys said. It sounds like both of you feel that in, in order for California to really produce more civic engagement, some of the reforms that we saw this time around, you know, they're perhaps helpful, but not everything that we need to see. So I want to get both of your thoughts on what some of the challenges we face here in California in really upping our civic engagement and what could be done to meet those challenges, uh, starting with you, David McEwen. Closing thoughts. Sure. So what we would like to see is getting voters better information and more information. So we have to cut through the clutter, and that means getting to them online, providing access where we can allow candidates time, uh, regardless of their political views or, say, the major parties, however we want to do it. But getting getting voters 
engaged and getting them information and having uh, at least an opportunity to see from the candidates and hear from them. We, we also have to deal with the uh, idea of issues. That is because ballot measures are so prominent and important in this state, uh, whether we're looking at uh, statewide or locally, getting information about those. And that, that requires uh, all parties that are involved. I don't mean political parties, but all interests that are involved to, to have some way to get together to provide better information to voters, especially those voters that are in the middle, not attached to a party and, and are, if you will, opting out or, or uh, appearing only episodically. They appear in the recall of Gray Davis in 2003, and then they vote against Arnold Schwarzenegger's ballot measures that, that come subsequent, or they appear in 2010 and then disappear in 2014. This episodic voter in, in the midst of an emerging electorate in this state uh, is, is a really perplexing problem and a difficult problem and requires getting access and better information, not just the ability to cast the ballot, but information about what is on the ballot and what the consequences of that, that that will become an important challenge for us and an important barometer of, of how well we're doing as a state in terms of civic engagement. And Mike Madrid, your thoughts? Well, I sort of have a non-traditional response to this, but it's an area that I've been looking at very closely for 25 years. And so let me share with you what, what my perceptions are. I don't believe that uh, our problems are uh, process problems. Um, while we should always continue and strive to allow for greater enfranchisement and allow more and more voters and make it easier to vote, I think we have really fooled ourselves as a state into believing that that was the problem. And if we have made it easier to vote, as I mentioned, with only a few anomalous uh, examples, the vote, the turnout rates have actually been declining for 25 or 30 years. The bigger problem in society is this separation. And, and again, this is going to sound abstract a little bit, but the separation between the rich and the poor and the decline of the middle class. And what we're seeing is wealthier areas in the state have really maintained their same voter participation rates over the past 30, 40 years, maybe slight declines. But in areas where the middle class has declined considerably and we're seeing poverty pockets grow and grow, we are seeing voter participation rates literally fall off a cliff. I mean, dramatic drop-offs. And what that tells us is very clearly, and there's many, many decades of, of census data that shows us this nationally, is where you see these declines in middle class incomes and increasing poverty rates, people literally don't feel they have a stake in their society. And so you see this disparity, this wealth disparity that is, is being developed in California specifically, also turn into a civic engagement disparity. And so voter participation in places like Los Angeles dramatically, dramatically lag behind the Bay Area which is a much wealthier, much uh, higher educated uh, place that has higher rates of home ownership and frankly is much more monolithic white racially. So we are truly two Californias, not just in our economic and social construct, but increasingly in our voter and civic engagement construct. And that's not a healthy thing for democracy. Of course, I guess we have to mention, I mean, coming off this election, this was a reasonably high voter turnout election. Uh, So, I mean, for the time being, couldn't we just count on anger uh, over uh, issues related to Trump uh, to drive turnout in California, Mike Madrid? Yeah, but that I would argue that that's less healthy than having <laughs> that. That's probably the worst way to motivate turnout. But it is also to your point in the past 25 years, the only time we have seen significant spikes in turnout from the Latino community, which is a much poorer community generally, is when the community feels threatened or under attack. And this election certainly meets that criteria. That is not healthy socially. It is not good for the fabric of our state or our country. And it is absolutely not what we should be relying on for turnout to to produce a healthy, civically engaged society. 
All right, and we are going to let that be the closing point for today. We have been speaking to David McEwen, professor of American politics at Sonoma State University. Professor McEwen, thank you. Well, thank you as always. It's a pleasure. And also Mike Madrid. Uh, he is a Republican political consultant and a partner at Grassroots Lab. Uh, Mike, very happy to have you on the show. Great to be with you guys. Great conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to In-Depth on KCBS. I'm Keith Mancone, and I'll see you next time. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for All News 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 